morning. How are you guys today? Everybody awake? Everybody have good breakfast? All of the students in the front said no to being awake right now. I love that. That's awesome. Hey, if we've not met, my name is Tim Jusco. I get to be the middle school pastor here at 1910 Church, and I'm so excited to be able to preach this week's uh, message, week two, holy mess. Sorry, that was hard for some reason. Um, I was given pretty clear instructions uh, last night from Pastor Jason to make sure that I send his hello to you and to let you guys know that he loves you. He is across the Pacific Ocean doing some church planting and mission work. Um, And if all things go according to plan, he will be here next Sunday preaching. That would be awesome. So continue to pray for him. Lift him up. He's doing some incredible stuff. Um, Don't you guys love your pastor? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, we're in week two of our series, Holy Mess. Pastor Jason last week laid the foundation for the series on telling us uh, what holiness is, uh, the mark, the standard God has set up for you and I, those of us who've trusted in Jesus, and how um, we often miss that mark. We often miss the standard, and so we can, if we're not careful, make a mess of holiness. We can make a mess of what God wants to do. And today, the scripture that we're going to be kind of focusing our teaching around is found in Leviticus 20, 26. It says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. You're to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. If there's one thing I hope you leave with today, it's the idea that as we're called to be holy, if we're called to be holy because God is holy, it's going to require new vision, new sight, um, a new way of looking at things. Um, So if you leave with one thing today, if you've got notes, put that down and make sure that's the one thing. It requires new sight. Holiness requires new vision. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your family, to worship you with one heart and one purpose, to make your name glorified, God. God, we are so thankful that you are not distant, but that you are present in this very room and that you are moving in our lives, God, that you are active and alive. And Lord, would you continue to be so as we hear your word, God? Would your thoughts, would your words be the ones made manifest in this room, God? Not man's own ambitions. We wanna hear from you. We love you and it's in your name. All God's kids said, Amen. There was a style of hair that was growing popular in my high school in Southern California. Um, this style of hair was a cultural phenomenon. It was, it was shaping the cultural landscape of Southern California in such a way that it would be a travesty to not liken it to the European artistic movements of the neoclassical and romantic eras. This style of hair was immaculate. This style of hair was wonderful. It was incredible. It was beautiful. This style of hair for guys. Um, it was the rat tail. The rat tail is wonderful. The rat tail is prized. The rat tail is such, it's, it's a piece of art really in itself. And all of the guys in my high school that were anybody, the cool dudes, um, they all had rat tails. They all had that patch. If you don't know what a rat tail is, you're not missing much, but it's that It's a patch of hair that's real. It's grown to the point where it's like some guys get it down to their shoulders and it's always greasy. It's always stringy and it's always gross. But I wanted one in this time in my life. I was a sophomore in high school and everybody had a rat tail. The problem was I was too proud to go to sports clips and say to the the hairdresser, hey, can you cut my hair in such a way that it looks like you forgot a spot and then I'm gonna grow that spot out for like two months. Can you do that for me in front of all the dudes that are in there watching sports or whatever? I wasn't about to do that. So I did the next best thing in my desire for this rat tail. I did the next best thing. I went over to my friend's house with a group of my friends and we were gonna spend the night 
and I said, hey, Carl, Carl, will you cut my hair and help me grow a rat tail, rat tail? Now, what you need to know about Carl is Carl had the best rat tail in the school. Carl's rat tail, you could braid Carl's rat tail. It was so nice. It was just down to his shoulders. It looked so cool, so cool. And I wanted just the best for my rat tail so Carl would trim me up. Um, and so I said to Carl, hey, will you cut my rat tail? And of course, Carl's a good dude, so he's not gonna say no. Um, Carl's gonna help me out when I'm in a time of need. So he said, yeah, I'll cut your rat tail, here we go. Um, and so he went and he grabbed his friend's brother's trimmers, because we were sophomores, and I still can't grow facial hair. So like, there was no reason for us to have trimmers at all, and I'm just gonna look like I'm in puberty for the rest of my life. But um, he grabbed his friend's brother's trimmers and brought them out, and all my friends took out their iPhone 4S's, and they were starting to video and Snapchat, because that just came out, and Yik Yak, and Facebook, and they were posting all these statuses about it, and I, I was getting all set up to get my hair cut, um, and so Carl was getting all the trimmer stuff set up, and I kind of like, you know, was getting ready. I took my hat off, I leaned my head forward to expose the nape of my neck that he was gonna trim around, um, and I noticed that as Carl was setting up the trimmer, that he didn't have any guards on the trimmer. Now, a guard for a trimmer is what sets the appropriate amount of, like, the length of hair. And so that told me in that moment, as everyone was around me getting ready for this euphoric experience, that told me in that moment that the only thing that was going to be the boundary for the appropriate length of hair on my head for this rat tail was the steadiness of Carl's right hand. And I don't like that very much. To this day, I don't like that very much. But I couldn't back out at that situation because everybody was expecting this at that point. So I went with faith and I said, Carl, you're gonna do this. And Carl was moving forward with it. And Carl had the trimmer set up, he turned it on. I was exposed in my neck. I heard the humming of the trimmer that, mm, you know what it is? Like, you know that sound? Thank you. It's that humming. Um, and I could feel the trimmer vibrating, like the electricity of it, you know, in the room. I could just feel the emotions of the room. It was just going to be this incredible, incredible moment. And as the trimmer got closer and closer, it started to cut hair and make that noise of trimming hair. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if Carl got a chill, because sometimes when people get chills, it's totally normal to like spaz out a little bit. I don't know if Carl got, uh, like if he sneezed or if a friend pushed him, but what was the familiar humming of the turned into a zhink real quick and I didn't feel the tremor on my head anymore. Instead, what I felt was a cold breeze on a part of my scalp I've never experienced before. And I knew my friends were laughing, but I didn't hear laughter. I knew they were videoing, but I didn't see anything. All I felt was doom and despair in that situation. And when I got out of that shell shock, they're like, oh man, you're fine. Like, don't worry about it. Don't even look at it, you're fine. Don't stress it. And when someone tells you that, the thing you should absolutely do is stress about it and go look at it. And so I went to the mirror and I grabbed one of those handheld mirror things that like if guys struggle with this, it, I feel like I'm the only one, but I couldn't get the angle right to like see the back of my head, you know? And I finally got it like 45 minutes later and I saw a square inch of my scalp that I've never seen before. Um, white as all get out, just there. I looked like I had mange. It looked like I was starting a checkerboard like hairstyle where it's just gonna be square patch, square patch. Um, and I knew that this was not gonna work. This was gonna be a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and I couldn't wear a hat because of the way it was. It was down below. So there's no covering it up at all unless I'm wearing a beanie and it's like 85 degrees outside. It's not gonna work. 
Um, so I went to sleep that night. Uh, the next day I went home to my parents and I've got a great set of parents. They're awesome. I, I was going to be forthright about this and just share with them this experience I had. Um, so they didn't find out as soon as I walked by them on my way to school, like out the door, they didn't see their bald kid for some reason. And so my mom immediately got furious with me. She was so angry with me. And my dad immediately laughed at me. And they both told me the same thing. You're going to sports clips and you're getting an even trim all the way around now just to make sure it grows out even. And so I went to sports clips and I got just as close as you can get to that original patch, which was real bald. And there's some people that look good bald. Pastor Jason and Dave Claflin and Steve look great. Um, there's some people that don't look great bald. I'm one of them. My head most closely resembles a gourd, like a squash. I know on a good day, I weigh like 180 pounds, right? The majority of that is in my head. I'm very, very top heavy, very top heavy. You push me over, the wind blows the right way. I'm just going straight over and you can't stop me. My head is gigantic. And to make that even worse, like I know myself so I can, I can say this, but like my face is not proportionate at all. My forehead is like half the size of my face. So imagine my forehead grew all the way to the back of my head. And that's a picture of what you saw. I had to put sunscreen on my scalp for the first time ever. I had to, I just looked horrible. I looked horrible. And what I learned from that is I wanted a rat tail, but I lacked the vision to see that no one looks good in a rat tail. I wanted to have this experience, but I lacked the vision to see that trusting Carl with trimmers wasn't going to work out to my favor. I wanted this rat tail really badly, but I lacked the vision to see the reality. Today, I want to talk to you about having vision. As we are to be holy, for God is holy, it requires a certain amount of vision. It requires a vision to see our situation and to see our future, to see ourselves and to see what God is preparing us for as well. Being holy requires a vision. It requires a vision. And the story we're going to be getting our teaching from in the Old Testament directly uh, pertains to vision um, in, a, in a really, really cool way. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Here we go. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screens behind me, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, the man of God being Elijah. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out the next, early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
Elisha is a prophet of the Lord. In the Old Testament, God would speak through certain individuals to his nation. Elisha is one of these guys where God is speaking through Elisha to the nation of Israel. And through divine revelation, Israel is getting information about the enemy that they're at war with. The king of Israel is getting information from Elisha about the enemy's movements and their plans. And this enrages the enemy king, the enemy king of Aram. And so what he does is he gets a report to find out where Elisha is, and then he sends an army to go out and capture Elisha. And they go by night, so when Elisha and his servant wake up the next morning, Elisha's servant freaks out. He freaks out. Oh no, my Lord, what are we going to do? And I love Elisha's response. Elisha's response is, Lord, open his eyes. And when that prayer is requested, it's answered in a way where Elisha's servant then sees the reality of what took place, that yes, they are surrounded by an enemy, but more than that, they're ultimately surrounded by God and that there's chariots of fire all around them. How incredible of a sight. It requires vision. I love this story because it's super relatable. Not the fact that they're at war with Aram. Like I'm not at war with Aram or king of Aram like at all in my life, but I feel as though I can relate to Elijah's servant a lot of times. See, Elisha's servant woke up and saw his situation, saw his circumstance, and immediately let fear and worry take control. He immediately let anxiety take control. Oh no, my Lord, what are we going to do? And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I often feel that way. More often than not, I wake up more like Elisha's servant than I do like Elisha where I wake up and I worry, God, what am I going to do today? Or I see my situation, or I see my circumstance, or I see the season of life that I'm in, and I wonder, God, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And just beyond the surface of what they were actually in, there was a deeper truth. There was a deeper revelation. There was a more real reality of what they were walking into. There, were, there was a more real reality of what they were going into. We live in a world where we fear. We live in a world where we fear. We are a fearful culture. We fear elections. We fear governments. We feel people who vote differently than us. We fear certain media outlets. We, we fear opinions. We fear change. We have a whole culture of political correctness set up, which means that I fear the very way your tongue moves in your mouth and air exits your mouth with words. I'm afraid of that. That's the culture we live in. We live in a very fearful culture. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can have the same struggles, the same fears, the same insecurities. And what we can do is we can start to, with layer after layer of fear and shame and condemnation and anxiety and worry, we can build up blinds over our eyes to where we can't see what God wants to do with our lives to where we can't see with our spiritual eyes what God is preparing us for, what God is doing. And all we can see is what Elisha's servant saw, an army, an enemy before them. We can come in here on a Sunday morning. This is what we do, right? If you're a super Christian, you come in here on a Sunday morning and you catch the heart for this house. So you sit one service and then you serve one service so you can be poured into and then poured out immediately. So say you come in here for three hours on a Sunday morning and for those three hours, the blinds come off. 
because this room has been prayed over, you're expectant, people are here setting everything up for you to succeed. And so you come in here and the band's got it and Chach is teaching us how to respond in worship to God and do all of these incredible things and, and feel God's presence and the blinds come off and it's incredible. And we know God is in here and he's working all things for our good. And we go out and we serve and we park cars with joy and we go hold babies knowing we're holding future world changers and we brew coffee unto the Lord and we've got so much joy and then we go home. If you're like me, sometimes you can't even leave the parking lot before you get angry. And reality settles back in. Reality sets back in. And by Wednesday, we're completely different than how we were on Sunday morning. And by Saturday night, we're starting the whole routine over again to get our quick fix. God calls us to be holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. And it's going to require taking the blinds off and seeing different. You know, holiness just means different, just means set apart, sacred. That's all it means. So when God calls us to be holy, he's saying, be different, be set apart, be sacred. Don't be like the world. Yes, you may be in the world, but you are not of the world. So you're going to have fear. It's going to show up. Don't give into it. You're going to have insecurity. Don't give into it. You're going to have anxiety and worry, but you don't have to give into it. And the challenge is to take off the blinds and see the reality of what we're actually walking through. David, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It may feel like we are walking in the shadow, in the valley of the shadow of death. It may feel like the season we're walking through feels like it feels like hell on earth. It can feel horrible, but David finishes that with the hope of knowing that God is right there with him, that even though we're in the valley, God is right there. And it goes on to say, in the midst of my enemies, you're preparing a table. You're preparing a table in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my hurt. What are you walking through that if you're not careful, you can see just the fear before you? Maybe we just need to change the vocabulary. Now, forgive me if I'm overstepping because I don't have kids, but... Maybe your kids are driving you up a wall. Maybe your kids are making you go crazy. Maybe we just need to change our vocabulary. Do you know what scripture calls kids? He calls them gifts, calls them blessings. So yeah, maybe your gifts are driving you up a wall and they're just going insane. But you know what? God gave them to you for a reason. God didn't just drop them off at your feet and turn away. He gave them to you for a purpose. So love them well. They're gifts unto you. Maybe your job isn't awesome. Maybe you work very hard and you are overqualified and underappreciated and you should have gotten that promotion and you should have gotten that accolade and you should have gotten that recognition, but you didn't. Do you view your job as a curse or a calling? Because the way the vocabulary you even use will determine how you live in it and it will determine how you view it. So do you view it as a curse or a calling? We have to choose to see different. We have to choose to see like Elisha, to see beyond what we're just walking through, beyond the surface level, to see different. And you know what happens when we begin to see our lives different? When we begin to see what we're walking through different? We begin to get God's eyes, and then we begin to see other people different. So yeah, people are going to hurt you. Newsflash, if it hasn't already happened to you, people are going to let you down. 
even pastors and ministry leaders and good God-fearing people are going to hurt you at different times. They're going to let you down. But when you're looking through the lens of what God sees, you're not going to focus on the pain and the hurt, but you are going to forgive and not let bitterness hold a grudge over you and hold a, a weight over you for the rest of your life. We begin to see other people different. We begin to see value where the world writes people off. We begin to see value in life where the world wants to write it off as nothing. We begin to see value in what we do with our hands and say, God, I'm not doing this for my boss. I'm doing this for you. We see value and we begin to look different. We begin to live different. And we begin to live holy. And it's all for God. Be holy for I am holy. We've got to have a new vision. We've got to wake up like Elijah. You know, when we're called to be holy for God is holy, um, I wouldn't be setting you up for success if I didn't share with you the fact that it's difficult. This is not easy. It's not. It's so much easier to live like everybody else. It's so much easier to give in like everybody else. It's so much easier to live like the world we're trying so desperately to show Jesus. It's difficult to live holy. It's even more difficult when we don't live by what we're called to, right? Or by, by our name that we actually have. So it, who makes mistakes? Cool. We got honest people in here. I make mistakes all the time. And if we're not careful, it can be so easy to only be known by our mistakes, it can be so easy to only identify ourselves with our shortcomings and our failures. And if, if we don't pay attention to the reality that God calls us something different when we trusted in him, we will have that weight bearing down on us. And there's just been something, it, it's very easy for me to stand on a platform like this and feel like I have to have my life put together. Feel like I have to have everything in my life going a, a certain direction, that I can't mess up that I can't ever make a mistake. But there's just been something that has been so encouraging to me recently, um, and it's an Instagram page. Uh, it's an Instagram page called Worship Fails. It is such an encouragement to know that there are other people that make mistakes, but that we're, we can still live away from that, like we can still live out of that. Um, and so I'm gonna preface something because I wanna show you a couple clips um, and have a good time together, but I wanna preface, we're not making fun of these people because the guy who posts them gets permission, okay? so. This is all for the Lord, all right? So can we show the first clip? And I want you first clip, watch the cross. Here we go. Boom. Gone. You're singing. Praise God. <laughs> you know for a fact that dude was not about to praise the Lord in that situation. 
Praise God. I love that middle one. Sing with me. Turn for a rim saw, standing side, angel arms. That's it. Not the words at all. It's such an encouragement because they gathered together with one purpose to glorify God and they still messed up. That dude completely forgot the lyrics and tried so hard to get back in, but he couldn't. That cross obliterated the drum cage, right? The cross has the final word, amen? They tried so hard and we still mess up. And it's such a freeing notion to know that we can still mess up. We can still miss it, but there's a pursuit of holiness, right? There's a pursuit of holiness. Even when we screw up, we don't just abandon the cause and give in, but we go back and we follow Jesus. We say, God, here's where I missed it. I'm going to pursue you. And I love this scripture even more so because of the two characters in it. You see, there's Elisha and there's Elisha's servant. And Elisha's servant doesn't have a name in this scripture. But earlier in the book of 2 Kings, we find out his name in, in chapter 4. For the first time in this book, we see his name. And his name is ironic. <coughs> <Ooh>. <coughs> Sorry, it's way better than a voice crack, though. His name is ironic in the fact that the one thing he lacked in this situation is his namesake. See, his name is, I'm going to say it the right way, and then I'm going to say it the easier way. His name is Gehazi. Gehazi, I'm gonna call him Gehazi. Gehazi, that name means valley of vision. His name means valley of vision. The one thing he lacked in the story was the vision to see what the Lord was actually doing. And his name means vision. Do you know that if you trust in Jesus, if you've already made the decision to trust in Jesus, if you believe that he lived a life on this earth, that he was faultless, that he went to the cross to die for you and I, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected three days later and then ascended into the heaven and on Pentecost gave his Holy Spirit, not just a random spirit, not just a ghostly spirit, his very spirit to you and I, if we've trusted in him, if you believe that, you have a new name. Yes, you may make mistakes. You will make mistakes. You may have faults, but God doesn't call you by your mistakes anymore. God doesn't call you by your errors or shortcomings. When you've trusted in Jesus, you have a new name. Where you were weak, God calls you strong. Where you were failure, God calls you clean and redeemed. And when we've messed up, God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us family. And so we can come in a room like this when we've trusted in him and know that we're not labeled by our mistakes when it comes to his kingdom. But we can come in here and raise our hands in worship knowing that God calls us family. God calls us sons, daughters, children. And when we live in that name, when we live in that identity, it changes everything. Imagine how Elisha's servant Gehazi would have lived if he knew that in every day he should have vision because it's his namesake. What would it look like if you and I, every day, woke up knowing that we're called sons or daughters of God? And I know we know it, but really, truly knowing it. And that each decision we made, we ask, is this what a son or a daughter of God would do? Is this what your son or your daughter would do, God? It sounds so kitschy and like 90s, what would Jesus do? But the reality of, the, of what we have to walk through is that we have to ask ourselves these questions. Is this what a son or a daughter would do if we've trusted in him? Do you know why? 
because other people are watching. Other people are watching. Other people see how you and I live. There's this story, this teaching that Pastor Jen gave that was just so relevant um, to this very fact. Uh, she gave it to our pastoral team and I immediately just took the notes um, and I just had to, I had to share it because it pertains so closely to this and it's about shepherds and I'm not a shepherd, but um, if I get this wrong, so if I, if I get this wrong, email Jen, but this is what she shared and I'm just gonna reteach it, okay? She shared about shepherds and what they'll do is they'll have a flock of sheep, right? And sometimes a mother sheep, she, yeah, mother sheep will have an offspring that will die. Um, it will get sick or it just, it, it, it won't live, it'll die. Um, and there'll be other orphan sheep in the flock. And so for the health of the flock, what a shepherd will do is try to pair the orphan sheep with the mother sheep who lost the offspring. And that doesn't happen by just putting sheep on leashes together, like when you go on walks or like sharing the same food or the same meals or anything like that, or calling them the same name. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So what some shepherds will do is they will take the wool of the dead sheep and they will dress, clothe the orphan sheep in that wool so that the mother smells, feels, sees the orphaned sheep as her own, sees it as her family, sees it as what her offspring was. And so when Jesus died on the cross for you and I, a big biblical word, what took place was imputation. That means Jesus took our sin and we gain his righteousness. So I've got to ask you today, who are you, whose are you, and what clothes are you wearing? Because if you believe that you are your mistakes, then we're missing the point of what Jesus has done for us. If we believe that we are gods, then we're going to live in a different way. And if we realize that we're wearing different clothes, we're going to let the world see a different person. It's, it's like that, that lamb, it's like this. Trent, can you stand up? Everybody give it up for Trent Dillard. Trent Dillard, student leader extraordinaire. Stay right there, Trent. This is my new jacket. I got it last night. L.L. Bean catalog, fall issue. Just kidding, Urban Outfitters. I really like it a lot. Um, this is my jacket. This is an identification of me. This is a marker of me because I own this jacket now. This is my jacket. Um, it would be better if I had a name tag on it, but essentially you see Tim when you see this jacket on me, right? It would be as if I gave it to Trent. Now Trent is wearing an identification. He's wearing a marker of me on him. So if you weren't looking too closely and you saw Trent out in the atrium, you would say, man, Tim's wearing a cool hat. Tim's got boot cut jeans on with pink shoelaces and a sick flannel. That's Tim right there because Trent is wearing an identification, a marker of me. Trent, you can go sit down. Uh, you can wear it, make it your own for a little bit. Trent is wearing a marker of me. When we've trusted in Jesus and imputation took place, we wear God's righteousness. We wear Jesus's righteousness now. We're wearing different clothes. And what that means is, for the time being, at this point in history, right now, the way people are going to see Jesus is through you. It's through you. It's through how you represent him. So the question I ask is, do you represent him well? Are you wearing his clothes well? because you're wearing his righteousness so people should see Jesus when they see you. That changes a lot of things. That changes how I live, that changes how I handle my finances, that changes how I serve, that changes a lot when I'm wearing what Jesus is wearing, when I'm wearing Jesus's righteousness. And you know what? If that means I have to lay some things down, 
because people are going to see Jesus in that situation, I'm going to lay them down. If that means for me, I'm not going to see rated R movies, I'm not going to go see the new Joker that came out because I'm wearing the representation of Jesus and I'm not trying to shame anybody that did, but for me, I'm not going to do that because I can't have a conversation with all the people that were in there saying, this is what I believe in all of this stuff because people are seeing Jesus on me. If that means I don't drink or I don't drink at certain places, I'm gonna lay it down because I'm wearing the representation of Jesus. If that means my vocabulary changes, or what I look at changes, or what I listen to changes, I'm gonna lay it down. Because I'm not Tim anymore. I'm wearing Jesus's righteousness. I'm representing Jesus, and I need to make sure I represent him well. There is a world that's dying out there, and the only way they're going to see Jesus is through you. It's through you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up because we're going to close in worship. If one person, one person sees and knows Jesus a little more clearly because of the sacrifices I've made personally and said I'm, not, I'm just going to set up boundaries and standards within my life. If one person in my entire life comes to see and know Jesus a little more clearly, isn't that worth it? Just one. Isn't that worth it? Now, I'm not saying that we like become Amish and live in our houses and never go out or do anything, but I am saying think about it before you do it. And if you're worried about it, play it safe because you don't know what your actions, what they're telling other people. You don't know what your actions, if maybe you're a mature Christian and you can handle all of this, you have to kind of listen to the immaturity of others at different times. You may have to play fiddle to that And it's not a a shame on you for wanting to partake in certain things, but it's an awareness that sometimes with our actions, we're giving liberty for other people to do things that maybe they're not good for them. So are you wearing Jesus's clothes? Well, we're to be holy for God is holy. We're to be set apart for God is set apart. It's going to require a different vision. We have to look through a different set of eyes. It's going to require different sight to see our lives as more than just meaningless, routine, rote, normal days, but to see what the Lord wants to do. Then it's going to require us to ask those questions. Who are we? Whose are we? And what clothes are we wearing right now? Is this what a son or a daughter of you would do, God? That changes a lot of things. So we're gonna close in worship. And I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to respond however you see fit. You can stand, you can kneel, the altar's open. If you just want to come up and pray and uh, seek repentance of where we've missed it, turn around from where we've missed it. Um, But when I think about the goodness of God in my life, the areas I've missed the mark, but God still loves me and calls me a son, I can't help but worship. I can't help but praise God because every instance, I don't deserve his love. But every instance, he continues to give it. So whatever that looks like for you, we're gonna end in worship. God, thank you for tonight, or for today. Sorry, I'm used to the hill. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning, the opportunity to worship you today. God, thank you for the fact that you are still alive and active that the grave didn't keep you down, that death couldn't hold you still. But God, by your power and Holy Spirit, you rose.
rose again and you offer the same resurrection power to every person in this room to make dead things alive again only by you God to be clothed in your perfection and faultlessness Jesus the thing that you've earned we could never have earned that standing but you give it freely for those who just trust that you did what you did so God as your people of the songs, 